Good afternoon, everyone. It's great to be able to be with you again this afternoon, or maybe if you're watching um, our recording later on, great that you were able to uh, download and join us in this series, The Raging Prophet, looking at this character, John the Baptist. Just a little bit of a reminder from last week and why we're wanting to consider uh, John the Baptist at this particular point in time is that that John sits in this remarkable place as a prophet. He's, he's the turning point. He's the moment between the preparation for the coming Messiah, the Christ, and, and the moment where Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, appears. One of the things that I think is really powerful that, that certain church communities have recognized is that, that actually, Christmas, which we celebrate the birth of Jesus. Christmas for many is celebrated not with weeks and weeks of celebration and joy beforehand, but with a deep reflection on darkness. Uh, and John the Baptist is right at the heart of that sense of darkness. We've called him a raging prophet because that, that seems in a good way to be what he does. He rages against injustice. He, he rages against unrighteousness. He speaks powerfully, which we're going to see over the next couple of weeks. But he also stands incredibly as a messenger <clears throat> and a very self-aware messenger, a messenger of the coming Jesus. In Isaiah, we read these words that are talking about John. And it says this in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 3, a voice of one calling. When we read that word calling, I think what we're saying is that John comes and he brings a message. He calls with a message. And his message is this, in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. And then we've, we've got this character, John, who appears in the wilderness with a message. And I want to spend just a few minutes this afternoon thinking about that idea of messages. They're incredibly powerful things and we are we are just surrounded consciously, subconsciously, very aware of messaging, very unaware of subtle messaging that's taking place. We are surrounded by messages again and again and again, just clamoring for our attention. Uh, and John came into a world which certainly wasn't as intense and continuous a messaging, but in their own way, the messages were surrounding everybody all of the time. There was the message of the power of the Roman Empire. There was the message of the call of the righteous religious elite to patterns of behavior. There was the, the cries of the messaging of um, societal pressures. All of those things were going on. And John breaks into the storyline of the Bible, breaks into the purpose of God and brings this, um, this message, this powerful breaking in message. When we think about messaging in this world, I think one of the things that is really so evident, again and again, we realize 
that messages or rather messengers very often become greater than the message. It, it's a human character trait. We might start well. The cause is bigger than us. We pursue pure objectives. But then we start to gain traction with our message. And then rather than the message being on the throne, we find that we end up on the throne or messengers end up on the throne. And the proclaimers of the message become greater than the message itself. We can see it in, well, a, a, a litany of business leaders, in presidents, maybe in bosses in the workplace, in church leaders. So many times again and again, our patterns of behavior are exposed in the darkness of the reality of our human experience when the message recedes and the messenger grows. Right at the heart of that, that shift, that transition, I think, is the desperate need for all of us to, to seem to find, to search for value in ourselves. I don't know whether you're aware of, some of you might really be very aware of a, a new term which is, which is capturing much of, um, much of the idea of, of raising children. How do we make sure that our children reach maximum individual human capital? I don't know whether you've heard that phrase, individual human capital. It's about the value of a person. That's a fascinating thing, isn't it? How do we find our value? How do I identify our value? When we see this continuous stream of messengers who become greater than the message, how often it repeats itself. And then we look at this particular incident of John, who is this prepared for, prophesied. He was a prophet who was prophesied about in Isaiah. We realize that John is sitting in a place where he is so prone to falling into that desperate, empty hole of being greater than the message. What's happened? He has gained followers. We, we actually read this little section today that Dan's just read for us. And the opening section sees that John was there with two of his disciples. He's gained a following. There are people who are going out to him in significant numbers going out into the desert to be baptized in the Jordan. He's gained a following. He has devotees, people who are committed to him. We found that John is completely confident in being able to stand up to the, as we saw last week, the the religious elite. We see that later on he stands up to authorities. He's he's a, a guy who is right at that fulcrum point of the combination of messenger and message. 
he's right at that moment, he's right at that point where his own inner being has every possibility to override the message and for his ego to become greater than the message. I think John speaks powerfully to us of our own human potential to enthrone ourselves, to recognize the danger of that possibility if we are to avoid individually as people or if we are to prepare our children or those who we care for for the possibility that if we place all of their value within themselves they will face the crushing defeat of the collapse of our own egos that's the danger of that messenger message moment tim keller so often he puts it brilliantly like this in this way he recognizes that so often our identity is the message that we communicate of who we are what we are how do you describe yourself if somebody asks you to describe yourself there are there are ways in which you describe yourself we might describe myself ourselves as i am so and so who does this job that my i my identity is in my work maybe that's you maybe your success even in work is something to be uh, very positive about and and that becomes your identity maybe it's your family maybe it's whatever it might be tim keller hones in on the idea that work can be our identity where we become better where we become bigger as the messenger rather than the simple message of work. And he says this, if our identity is in our work rather than Christ, success will go to our heads and failure will go to our hearts. Isn't that brilliant? We could, we could move away any idea from, or rather we could replace the idea of work with, with anything our families, our goals, our successes, our financial security. If our financial security, or rather if our identity is in our financial security rather than Christ, success will go to our heads and failure will go to our hearts. So John is at this moment, this, this critical point for him, for him as an individual of being a successful, powerful voice, a messenger, where he has every potential to become greater than the message. But look at what actually happens. Because what we actually see is we see the messenger becoming less than the message. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples when he saw jesus passing by he said look the lamb of god when the two disciples heard him say this they followed jesus that is an incredible moment 
it, it's a striking moment in the in the story of the plan of salvation that God has. All of this time there has been prophets, prophets prophesying about this final prophet, John. And then John sees Jesus and he points to Jesus and he says effectively, when he says, look, the Lamb of God, he's effectively saying this, look, there is the message that I've been bringing to you. There's the message that I've been bringing to you. And the outcome of that is that his disciples leave him and follow Jesus. That's an amazing moment, actually. It's striking in the sense that it reveals the true heart of this man we call John the Baptist. We see that his heart, his desire, his willingness was to let go of his identity, even the identity that he found in others being disciples of him. He was willing to let go of that for them to follow Jesus. It's almost as though, as though John just lays open his heart for us to look in and to see the way in which we become less than the message is when we are willing to let go of those trinkets of success, those ideas that might form our identity. We can let go of them and we can allow those to follow the purpose and the course of Jesus. I can let go of them. I can let go of the success. I can let go of the outcomes. I can let go of the identity that all sorts of things bring if I have to. And that's the point. There is a moment where we realize the things that we build up in our lives, the things that we create in our lives, which become our identity, are the very things which one day we might be called on to let go of. Have you experienced that? Have you gone through that deep human challenge? of recognizing that there are moments in our lives where we realize that our heart and our security has for moments been secured by something outside of Jesus. And then we find that it's taken away. And when it is taken away, we realize that our hope then is in Jesus. John points to us and he says, look, be confident, be secure. Your identity is not in those things. It's in that one, the Lamb of God. He's willing to say to us through his actions, let go of those things that seem so valuable in human currency. Disciples, devotees, success. And as we see for John, even life itself. And allow the pointing to the Lamb of God not just to be something for everybody else, but something for himself.
I think we all need to understand and embrace this, possibly more in our day than in many days, decades, even hundreds of years, maybe, maybe not. But I think we have a massive drive, a striving in our society to create an identity for ourselves, to create a picture, a value set, a human capital for ourselves, something that says, if I've done these things, if I've been these things, if I can show you that this is who I am, I've got value. And the reality is for so many of us that for all of those things that we portray on the outside, deep down inside, we know that those things are not fulfilling us, are not satisfying us, are not securing us. They are not giving us the very value that we are striving for. And then we realize that the message is, look, the Lamb of God, there's our security. So we've seen that there is a, a consistent human trait where messengers become greater than messages. Then we see that John is this, this moment in history where the messenger is less than the message. I want to, just before we think of the final concluding ideas around this, I just want to point to one thing. John points to Jesus and he says, look, the Lamb of God. It's an interesting phrase. It's a term which the scholars have looked into and there is, there is many ways where there's possibilities, there's hints, there's ideas going back into the Old Testament of, of why that phrase might make sense. We look at sacrifices, but sacrifices generally weren't lambs. We see this, this, this description of Jesus from John. There's the lamb. I think it seems to me as though what John is doing is he is actually speaking in prophetic terms even at that moment. He's saying there's the lamb of God. And you might not understand yet what the lamb of God is but you and I are able to understand what the Lamb of God is. Because the Lamb of God becomes the gentle, vulnerable, guiltless sacrifice. If a, if a, if a sheep or an ox was a sacrifice, how much more vulnerable and guiltless does a lamb become? And yet we understand precisely now what John meant by there, the lamb of God, Jesus of Nazareth, the lamb, the sacrifice, in a way which was not understood by those who left John to become the disciples of Jesus. But they saw it happen. They saw Jesus become the Lamb of God. The task of the prophets is to declare God's word, word, to point 
to God's salvation. And here John says, there's the lamb. But do you see what he is saying? He's not saying there's the messenger. He's not saying there Jesus is the final messenger of God. He's saying something way more powerful. He's saying there is the message. Jesus isn't the messenger. Jesus is the message. He is the embodiment of the salvation. He's not pointing to a salvation. He is the salvation. He's not preparing us for a salvation that God will work out. He becomes the salvation that God works out. He becomes the one who comes as saviour. And as we saw last week, almost with the absolute assurance of the return of Jesus Christ a second time, he becomes both saviour and judge coming almost as one moment. And he is the message. What does that do when we understand the truth of the message? Well, we can see the way it plays out for John's disciples. Look at verse 38. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? I think the indication there is that the ones who were following John were preparing to sit under a new teacher, no longer sitting under John. So, so let us come to where you are and let us sit under your teaching. Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. What happens? When we don't just learn about the messages of Jesus, what happens when we truly deeply embrace, when we internalize, when we accept and cling to Jesus as the message? We see what these disciples saw. They see, firstly, that Jesus is the Messiah. We can't, we might say it so often, you know, at Christ Church, but we cannot overstate the power of what that is. Jesus, the Messiah, the one who has been promised throughout the Old Testament, the one that God's people have been anticipating, the fulfillment, the culmination, as, as Matt said earlier, the fact that we have a God who is faithful is seen in Jesus. 400 years, God has been silent and has not spoken through the prophets. And then John breaks in at the moment where God says, now I will reveal my faithfulness because here 
is the Messiah, the Christ. The one who has been promised, I am faithful. You can trust me. I will do what I say I am going to do, which is why when Jesus comes as saviour, we also need to be prepared and expecting that Jesus will return as judge. Because he is both. He is the message, which is what reconciles this raging prophet who shouts and cries against injustice and unrighteousness. And then he points to Jesus as the fulfillment of his message. And Jesus looks meek and gentle and ultimately broken. That is not separate to the one who returns as judge. And when we see that, we realize that it has a life-changing impact when we truly encounter that Jesus Christ. We see it laid out for us here in the words that Jesus speaks to Peter. Andrew, who is Peter's Simon, Peter's brother, um, he hears he goes from spending time with John to spending time with Jesus, and he realizes this is the Messiah. His response is, "I'm going to go and get my brother. I can't explain it fully to him. I'm just going to go and get him." I'm going to say this, we found this Messiah who's been promised. Now, come and listen. And Jesus speaks to Peter. You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. That is packed with anticipated outcomes. Peter becomes this one upon which um, the church has such a powerful um, growth and the one who finally dies for his faith in this Messiah. See, that's the thing when this message becomes personal. It is life-changing. It change, changes the course of lives. It reshapes the way we see things, the way we view things, the way we do things, the things that we desire. It frees us and it liberates us from seeking our human capital in our identity outside of him. When we place our hope in him, we realize that we can find peace. How do we find peace? I think it's this, and we'll close with this. We find peace when we realize that we no longer need to be the center of our stories, but rather we can place Jesus at the center of our stories. And then we will find peace. Great. All right. So, Paul, Hi, thank you. Hello. Thank you for that uh, message. Um, yeah. Great to hear. And, uh, you know, um, 
timely, I think, you know, for, yeah. for myself personally, you know, in, in, in a lot of ways. So, so that's okay. good. Just in terms of messages that we were saying in, in terms of the world we're living in now, you know, mm -hmm. that was like a big thing. What, what, how do we receive messages now, you know, in the 21st century, they, they just bombard us, don't they? But, you know, what, yeah. how, yeah, how do you feel like we receive them? It seems to come from all yeah. over the place. I think, I think we, we're probably more aware and we're probably bombarded with more messages than, than we ever have been. Mm. Um, and, and they're really subtle, aren't they? But I think like, uh, so, so we've got the whole kind of, the whole kind of online phenomenon, but what I would suggest is that the online phenomenon really is that all it's doing is it's moving the kind of societal stroke peer pressure it's just creating yeah. a new environment for that same thing to happen mm. that has happened for millennia <laughs> yeah. yeah where we're always at the root of that i think we're always wanting to assess ourselves measure ourselves and compare ourselves to people around us yeah yeah, and uh, it's so easy to do that, isn't it? So oh, easy absolutely. To, so easy to do that, isn't it? Especially um, when we've when we've got more ways to kind of portray ourselves than we've we've ever had. Absolutely, absolutely, and it's just having your identity in Jesus. It it seems to me to to make sense to have it in something which isn't going to move, is is stable, um, and but it's so easy not. For that not to be the case um and i suppose a question would be how what would we recognize as the things in our lives which are things that which are we place our identity in because we can live in a bit of a bubble can't we and you know it's i suppose it's it's a self-reflection thing that people from outside maybe to see it but we don't necessarily see that how can we recognize within ourselves that work has become that thing or your family's become that thing yeah, it's a good question. I think I think a couple of things. One is to be very conscious of the danger. Mm. And it's a subtle thing. I was thinking about this. Sometimes we can sometimes we can treat the idea of not having our identity in certain things as a reason or recognize the, recognizing the danger of having our identity in certain things as being a, re, a reason to almost check out of those things. Mm. So we kind of say, oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not going to have my identity in my work. And, and that's like a way to check out of our responsibilities to work or our yeah. families or whatever mm. it might be. Mm. It seems to me that actually what it does is it gives us the opportunity to strive even more in them but mm. for a different reason. Mm. Um, whether you eat or drink, do all things to the glory of God. Mm. Uh, so, so we really strive into things, but we have a different objective and a different purpose. And I think it's, it's rooted in the idea that what happens if any of those things fail? Mm. Yeah. yeah. What, hap what, what happens to us as people if those things fail? I suppose it's what happens when they fail. Yeah, well, yeah <laughs> not, that's, that's they, they, they will yeah, fail because we, we hold them to such a high yeah. standard that they will let us down and we go, well, yeah. it's all they, falling down. They will fail in one way or another. Mm. You know, the greatest of loves ultimately is separated. Mm. Um, 
So, so I think there's that, that consciousness, that inner consciousness. But I think that the church, the, the gathering of the church, the body of the church, is also specifically designed to keep us focused on Jesus. Yeah. To keep us focused on those kind of dangers, which is mm. which is why I think it's really important to recognize in a time where we're not able to gather. No. Um, to actually we should treat, we should consider gathering together at the moment like water in a desert. Mm. It should become more valuable to us in its absence. Yeah. Um, we should be kind of yearning for it even more because it's that context that actually ultimately is going to shape me and, and help me and encourage me. And, and particularly in the areas where I've got every possibility of creating an identity which isn't going to sustain me. Yeah. No, that's really helpful. Definitely. And we do. Yeah, and no, I do. Yeah. <laughs> I know I yeah. do. And it'll be fantastic when we can meet together again. Well, and we know it is different. going to happen. Yeah, we're all different, aren't we? I think some of us are really yearning for it. We're, mm. we're kind of, you know, we're people, people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Some of us are not people, people. And <laughs> just like fine. This is actually, brilliant. <laughs> you know, and and both of those carry their own strengths and weaknesses. You know, yeah. sometimes we can create a a desire and a yearning for being back together, which is nothing to do with the 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 heart-shaping, soul-enriching gathering together. It's mm. all to do with being back in this group of people that we just doing we, stuff. We buzz off. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And then equally, you know, we, we might be those who need to be encouraged to see that the community of God's people is a place where we are going to be helped even if we shirk from it. Mm. Um, yeah. That I think yeah. I think that's what the church is to do, and it's a high mm. calling for the church. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, for someone just listening now, and that they're just thinking, you know, I've, I recognise that my identity is in so many different things. I feel kind of um, divided, really, in terms of which way to go. What what advice would you give to someone just on that path, on that journey of how can I? you know how can my identity be within christ what steps do i need to take what do i need to do where do i go i think um i think the song that we've just sung um is really helpful mm. by faith we see the hand of god if mm. we see jesus that indelible mark of the hand of jesus christ god present with us actually embracing seeking understanding trusting that more and more mm. is what is going to it's like well paul describes it like an athlete you know athletes train mm. um i think he he used that analogy really carefully because he realized that when we train into the disciplines of taking our eyes off ourselves and trusting in Jesus, then it's easier for our eyes to be off, off ourselves and trusting in Jesus. Mm. Because that's what exercise does for us. You know, the, yeah. more, the more we run 5K, 
the better and more relaxed we're going to be at running 5k mm. i've not i've not had that experience yet i'm still well, maybe that one day you might experience running 5k <laughs> one that, day that might be a, that might be a thing to, to do <laughs> it's a goal um, for me it's a goal lockdown. try it mate that's well, quite yeah. good I know, yeah, yeah. You won't catch me running five k. I have to say, <laughs> um, yeah. but I think if we if we push into the realization that trusting in that, having faith in that, mm. is going to increasingly help us, then you ask, well, how do we do that? It's through the <clears throat> the ways in which we we commit ourselves to to God's people, the way in which we we hear and understand God's word, mm. the way in which we move from hearing to being in relationship, uh, in, in communion, in community, in uh, communication with God. And yeah. trusting that that is, is the process in which we'll be nurtured. Yeah, and I think you've said it there, so it's a process, it's a journey, isn't it? It's, yeah. you know, um, yeah. No, thank you, Paul, That's, uh, it's been really helpful. Um, and uh, and yeah, if, if we do, if you do have any other questions, if um, you know, just what we said at the start, you can um, keep in touch with us by any of the means that we said before. Uh, it'd be really good to hear from you. Um, thank you, guys. Thank you all for listening. Uh, hope you have a, a great week, um, and we pray that we'll we'll see you again next week for our uh, next um, instalment of this uh, of this sermon series. Um, have a great week. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye.